0: Welcome to the gold standard of podcasts for the gold standard of drivers. This is the Liquid Trucking Podcast with your host, Marcus Bridges.
1: How's it going out there, Liquid Trucking drivers? My name is Marcus Bridges, and I am the host of your brand new shiny podcast, the Liquid Trucking Podcast. This is such a cool thing that your company has a podcast that is for you and about you. We're going to be bringing you all sorts of company updates, safety information, interviews with staff members that have important things to tell you, and of course, my favorite part of the entire thing is going to be the driver profiles that we get to do. Each week on the show, we'll try to feature a different driver from Liquid Trucking so that we can hear stories from the road, advice, and uh, just their take on what it's like to work for Liquid Trucking. But for this first episode, it's going to be a little bit different. As I was there in Plattsmouth meeting the staff and, and getting to know Liquid Trucking as a company, one thing that I got really intrigued by was how the company started. I kept hearing these stories about Roger and Mike and then Josh and Gabe as kids, and now they're running the company, and, and Roger and Mike have have built this thing from just a few trucks into what it is today. So I thought, what better way to introduce the podcast than to have our first episode be about the history of liquid trucking. So coming up in this episode, we're going to hear from Mike Bynes. We're going to hear from Roger Schmidt, Josh Schmidt, and Gabe Schmidt about all of the formulation of liquid trucking and how things got from where they started to where they are now. It's a great story, and I can't wait to share it with you. So let's get to our first interview and get this podcast kicked off.
0: And now, Vice President of Liquid Trucking, Mike Bynes.
1: Joining me now on the Liquid Trucking podcast is Vice President of Liquid Trucking, Mike Bynes. Mike, thank you so much for being here with us today.
2: Thank you, Margaret.
1: Now, when I was in Plattsmouth, Nebraska, meeting the team, uh, getting a, a little bit of a feel for what Liquid Trucking is all about, I uh, went up and sat in your office for a while, and you told me a great story about the origins of liquid trucking. Can you tell us that story right now so that all the uh, listeners can hear it as well?
2: Sure. sure we have to. <laughs> well, basically, around 1990, I was working for Cargill Transportation Services, running a private fleet of trucks hauling molasses and liquid bees out of Omaha, Nebraska. Cargill opted to get out of the trucking business and wanted to, wanted someone to... Purchase the business and still haul their molasses for them, which I uh, did. I'd worked for them for 16 years, kind of liked my last position there. So I was able to do that. We were operating like seven or eight lease tractors and roughly 10 trailers hauling molasses for cargo out of Omaha to the local feedlots and areas. Did that for, you know, that was in 1990. and 1992, sure. uh, at that time, Roger, was uh, had four trucks leased to Hill Brothers out of Omaha, Nebraska. I was running a mechanic shop down here in Plaza. Roger and I had grown up together, basically. He kind of had the maintenance expertise expertise side. I had the sales dispatch expertise side. So I started operating, and he started pulling some of my tank trailers in '91, I believe. '92, we we opted to basically become partners. I was an office out of Omaha at the time. At that time, we moved to Started out at a local junkyard here in town. Like I said, Roger had about four trucks and I was running about eight. So we started roughly 10 to, 10 to 12 trucks and about 10, to 12 trailers. Like I said, liquid feed, molasses, the ag industry was kind of our, our thing back then. We uh, continued to grow this thing, branched out into getting into chemicals, some food grades. Business and things like that, and basically ended up where we are today. You know, we're currently at over 200 power units and roughly 350 stainless steel liquid tankers, all pretty much anything liquid from food grade to chemicals. And we still do all our speed, but you know, where we started, where we were.
1: That's amazing. Did you ever think back in the early 90s when you guys first decided to become partners, you and Roger, that? You would get to where you are today, as far as the capacity and the size of the company.
2: No, not really. I mean, I would. You know, I had visions of fifty trucks, maybe, but uh, nothing to this extreme. I mean, it just everything clicked. We, we worked hard at it. Later on in it, the boys come on. Josh and Gabe come forward. I continue to do the dispatch sales side. You know, Roger was was maintenance guy, and, and uh, Gabe came in started up as a driver, you know, as this thing developed, you know, he got into the master side and safe with Josh. Josh wasn't the driver, but he you know, he did come up through the ranks and eventually became general manager. So but no, I, I didn't have no no idea we would get to this point. You know, I, like I said, I had vision maybe fifty trucks, but uh, you know, fifty to seventy five packs. Never thought we'd get this big <laughs>
1: How much how much different is the workload between fifty trucks or so and and the, you know, hundreds that you're operating now? Well,
2: Gabe and I dispatched it probably until we were about seventy five trucks ourselves. So. I did wow. the sales and dispatch and Gabe was helping me with the dispatch. You know, once it got that big, I had to concentrate more on sales side, so we started adding dispatchers from there. I think currently today we're running about date dispatchers, and Tanner and myself handle the sales side of it.
1: That's amazing. Now, I, I was told some stories when I was in uh, Plattsmouth, Mike, about uh, the fact that you, you'll you kind of work anywhere. Uh, you had some phones installed all over the place so that uh, so that you can constantly be in touch with people. Uh, was there ever a phone in the bathroom?
2: No, oh, that was about the time cell phones started getting popular. I okay. mean, my wife accused me of being married to the business for a long time, <laughs> uh, and uh, I've done it so many years, you know, she would, she would get a that get a phone call in the middle of the night and be able to wake up from a dead sleep and know who it was and tell the driver what to do. I guess I was just fortunate I had that, that back but, and that kind of memory at that time. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, you don't want to wake me up in the middle of the night and expect any uh, work of any quality to get done. I'll tell you that, Mike. So that's a special talent that you've got there. Can you summarize the goal of Liquid Trucking in just a couple of sentences for me?
2: Well, you know, we we came this far. I think, you know, you know, I'm I'm getting older now. Probably will be retired in a few years. Gavin and Josh are young and looking to make this thing to continue to grow. And if history is any for past history of any indication, I don't see why we can't continue to grow.
1: For sure, yeah. Was it very important? I mean, I guess that's kind of a rhetorical question. I didn't. I know it was very important, but Josh and Gabe coming up through the ranks like they did—they pretty much worked between the two of them every job that there is to work at Liquid. Is that is that true?
2: Yeah, pretty much. It's like it's been a family operation, you know we ran pretty slim for a number of years until we just got big enough to do justice. The job we started had, had to add help. We just couldn't do it all ourselves. Mm-hmm. The larger you get, the more, the more support staff you got to have.
1: Of course. Yeah. And the staff is, is huge now. And, and you've got a great staff of people there are working for you. I've got to meet quite a few of them at this point. And uh, everybody was very gracious with their time, but one thing that I, I definitely noticed was that people seem to enjoy working at Liquid. They enjoy uh, the the challenge that is presented. How have you guys built out the company culture uh, at Liquid, and and what would you, how would you describe that culture? Uh, I guess you already did kind of describe it as family. So I'll, I'll just have you concentrate on that. How did you build out that family culture?
2: Well, I mean, we grew up as friends. Uh, Roger and I both come from a farming background. I think that was the culture we came from. When we were, when we were a smaller company, you know, we looked at our drivers as part of the family. And we still try to today. It may not seem like it with the numbers we're trying to do here. You know, just the sheer size now makes it a little tougher to, to maintain the culture we had. You know, but we still try and maintain the a fam- the, you know, family-oriented uh, work with our drivers for time off, things like that.
1: If I'm a prospective customer, Mike, what kind of things can I expect Liquid to offer me as a carrier?
2: Professional on-time deliveries. We pride ourselves in, in doing the job right. That's how we built this business, and, and that's how we've been able to run it.
1: For sure. Well Mike uh, we really appreciate having you here. I'm going to leave you with this. This podcast is obviously it's a, it's a new thing. Uh, this is going to be the very first episode so but it's for your drivers. They're going to be the ones that are listening and uh you know if anybody else wants to listen, we're always glad to have them here but I want to give you the floor if there's anything you'd like to say right off the top at the very beginning of the life of this podcast uh, to your drivers. The floor is yours. Please Say whatever you would.
2: Well, first I'd like to say, you know, we're in a service business. You're only as good as your drivers. Um, you know, our drivers are an extension of our company. You know, they do a very good job. We need to have that to be continue, continue to be successful.
1: Well, Mike, once again, thank you so much for the time today. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, it's been great to uh, to learn about the origins of the company, and I can't wait to talk to you more as the podcast grows and, uh, we find more reasons to get in touch with you. Once again, thanks for your time and we'll be in touch. Okay.
2: Okay. Thank you. Marcus.
1: That's Mike Bynes there. Uh, vice president, liquid trucking, Mike, we appreciate the time
0: from odd jobs around the shop all the way to running the show. General manager of liquid trucking, Josh Schmidt.
1: Please welcome to the podcast, General Manager of Liquid Trucking, Josh Schmidt. Josh, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, no problem. Uh, We're super excited to get this podcast off the ground, and we're using this episode to really give our listeners a a good idea of of the origins of Liquid and where the whole thing came from, how it started. We've already talked to Mike, which he was very informative. I love those history lessons that we get from him. But from your perspective, Josh, I know that you kind of started from the ground up with Liquid, uh, working with your dad and Mike. Can you kind of walk me through your term with the company and how you started to where you are now?
3: Sure, I can do that. First of all, we're very excited about uh, this podcast and uh, looking forward to it. I guess uh, going way back, my dad started a trucking company in 1989 he was kind of a, a mechanic. He was working on people's tractors, their cars, that kind of thing, down in the salvage yard. And about 1989, a uh, guy that was ready to retire talked my dad, Roger, into buying four trucks from him. Roger says, you know, I don't I don't have any money. And the guy says, well, you don't need money. You can just pay me off over four years on a land contract. I think it was somewhere around $100,000. At that time, I was about 12 years old. So... I had already been kind of going to work with dad in the summertime. My brother gave, he's 10 and we'd go down there and mostly jack around like 10 or 12 year olds do, but, uh, he'd put us to work sweeping the shop. And so we got to see kind of how hard he had to work to get things going from an early age. And, uh, as we got older, you know, we did more odd uh, jobs, organizing parts. He taught us how to how to drive the trucks around the yard, which we thought was pretty cool, hooking up trailers, that kind of thing. Uh, One cool thing about my dad and Mike both were they gave us a lot of responsibility at a young age and allowed us to screw up, which was important for us to, to learn. I'd say fast forward to, and then we just did those odd jobs, fast forward to old high school age. You know, I was washing out the inside of the trailers. My brother was more working in the shop. Back then, we'd wash out trailers with just a hot seat wand, and so I was kind of a smaller guy, so it worked out well for us at that time. Even into college, I was in college from about 97 to 2001, I'd come back and and work work for Roger and Mike. The company had grown probably from those first four trucks to, in 1994, I believe, Roger and Mike joined forces and became liquid-only at that time. They are basically just hauling cattle feed. Then they went into hauling some fertilizers and then some, some byproducts for Darling National, really nasty stuff. Um, <laughs> so by, so there's kind of a timeline for you. And then by 97 to 2001, I was in college, but I was also working there still working mainly in the wash bay and doing those kinds of things. And uh, it just so happened in about the year, what, 99, 2000, Internet became pretty widespread. Uh, People started using more and more software in the trucking industry. The business itself had grown to probably 20 or 30 trucks. So they were getting bigger, and they were trying to do everything with papers. So that was my opportunity to kind of weasel my way into the office. Got to come in and say, hey, guys, there's a better way to do this. You know, we need to buy some software. You know, we need to get some high-speed Internet service in here. So we kind of interviewed a bunch of software companies, started their picked one. They sort of let me take charge in implementing that software. So that was kind of my way to get into the office and uh, really get going on the admin side of what liquid trucking is today. And since then, I think it was about 2002 when we got that first piece of software implemented. And Since then, it's it's sort of been off to the races. Um, One thing that I've picked up on since I was young, uh, up until now that my brother and I have kind of tried to carry on for Roger and Mike is their, their secret sauce was to drum up some business and, and make it work no matter what. And part of making this work is having high level employees, high level help. So what we've really always done is paid kind of top of the scale when it comes to our drivers, you know, our administrative help, our mechanics, our wash bay people, even our, our general maintenance people, you find somebody good, you try to hang on to them. And I think we've done a fair job of that over the years. We've got many employees that that have been here, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, even 25 years. So I think that's that's been a lot of the secret to our success is having really great, loyal employees that know what they're doing in their area of expertise, you know, hell, even more than than we do these days
1: (laughs) well that's all great and thank you for that josh i uh, you know there's a couple of things i was taking notes when you were talking and one i have to ask how excited were you when you finally did find that avenue to weasel into the office and get out of uh washing out the tanks because i understand that's not the most glamorous job on the lot
3: (laughs) oh no it's not the most glamorous (laughs) job but it's it is one of the most important jobs so you know I got to screw that up a few times and and take the chewings from both both Mike and, and my dad recognize the importance of that job and knowing that, you know, hey, I'm in college, I think I can make an impact for this company at the time i I felt maybe it's a small impact to start with, but I could see the success that the company had had already and and what it could possibly be in the future. so I really did want to move into the office, and but I had to prove myself. That was my method of doing so. I was very lucky that it worked. I It all kind of worked.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, well, well, great job with that. It, you know, I have a lot of friends, uh, Josh, that work in the trades, and one thing that's very common amongst these guys is that uh, when they have to work with engineers or people that don't have a lot of uh, of hands-on experience in the field. The one gripe that you hear is, man, if I could if I could give this guy a broom and start him from the ground up and have him work up to where I'm at, I think he would understand the job so much better. And I, one of the things I think is so cool about your story is that going all the way back till you were 12, that's that's how it started for you. You were sweeping up the shop, you were organizing parts and you were in in effect learning every aspect of how to operate within the company and how the company runs. Is that a very, uh, a real valuable experience set for you uh, when you think about what you do today compared to what you did back when you were 12 and 13 years old?
3: Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the secret right there. I tell people, yes, I went to college. Yes. It helped me get my foot in the door at the company as being someone that could be leaned on some more. But 99% of my experience is just working, working at the company, starting at the ground level, doing all the jobs. Uh, with the exception of driving, I never did drive. I kind of ruined that for myself. When I was about 19 years old, I got a DUI. So that was the, the end of my driving career before it even started. <laughs> yep. So I wasn't a perfect kid, definitely did my share of screwing up. That's just kind of the way it was. But my brother, on the other hand, he got his start You know, working in the shops. He did start driving a truck at the age of 19 years old. He actually went to work for someone else driving a truck because Roger and Mike didn't feel quite comfortable with him at the time. So he got a couple years of experience hauled for a company named fast grass. So he's hauling flatbeds of, uh, of grass, a sod into uh, housing development. So I don't know how safe that really was for a 19 year old kid to be doing, but he did it kind of, kind of how he got going. I guess the big thing is to, To recognize, I think Roger and Mike were great partners. Uh, They both handled kind of opposite sides of the business. And then as Gabe and I came in, we were able to handle some of the things that maybe Roger and Mike were weak at. And so we've we've made four great partners over the years.
1: For sure. Now, you talked about the, uh, you know, paying drivers a little bit better. And I know that Liquid uh, likes to, pride themselves on hiring kind of the gold standard of drivers. Why is that important to Liquid to have the the best of the best out there on the road?
3: Well, it's because we've got a very unique and complicated yet profitable business model. Um, we're doing a lot of things that a lot of other tanker carriers won't do. A lot of tanker carriers will set up shop like near a port or in Chicago, you know, in a big city and, They'll, they'll have just a handful of customers and they'll haul high volumes, as high a volume as they can, the same kind of product back and forth all the time. Uh, that eliminates their need to wash out. Um, they'll do a lot of contract freight. The reason we're different is we're hauling to, you know, thousands of different customers and it's hundreds of different kinds of products, maybe thousands that we haul every year. Some are food grade, some are hazmat, uh, some are feed grade, some are other. So that kind of complicates things. We've built two commercial wash facilities to help with that. We have to wash our trailers often because of the different products that we haul. And so that kind of makes it more profitable because we aren't under contract. We're kind of picking and choosing the freight that we can haul at all times. And uh, so just by that description you can tell it's, it's sort of complicated our drivers need to be top of the line because they're not just doing one thing our, our drivers are very intelligent guys and they're having to kind of learn on the fly and get the job done maybe sometimes when they don't have all the information so we're also very appreciative of those guys and uh, we try to pay them well
1: Absolutely. And, and they definitely command that for good reason. I, after being in Plattsmith with you guys and, and kind of learning about the, uh, the company for, for a week, which was really cool by the way. And, uh, thank you so much for having me there in house. I really enjoyed it, but I would equate what the drivers and and the rest of the staff told me to, you've got a set of Legos and you know, at the end of the day that you're supposed to build this house and the house always comes out the same but every single day you've got a different set of directions on how to build that house with every different load it's like yeah the the lo- the point is to get the product from point a to point b but the onload the offload the wash all that stuff can change there's so many variables to what your drivers are doing
0: nailed
3: it there Marcus.
1: well it's uh, it's really cool to see i got and and just so everybody out there listening knows I even climbed up on the catwalk and I was looking down into the truck while it was getting steamed out, which is why I said, I know that's not a glamorous job. Those guys in the tank watch are working hard and they're in small, confined spaces. Uh, I know that the drivers have to have this extended breadth of knowledge as far as, you know, hookups and everything like that. And uh, it, it was it was really fun to see this operation run as as smoothly as it does you know, I, I I said this to Mike, and I want to give you the opportunity to, because we're up against the clock here, Josh. I want to let you get back to what you've got going on today. This podcast is for your drivers to listen to, and I want to give you the floor to say anything you want to say to the drivers or any of the rest of the staff of Liquid that might be listening before we let you go.
3: As one of the owners here now, along with my brother, dad, Mike, we're just so very appreciative of all the, all the long-term help that we've had over the years. Our employees are second to none. I mean, you can't build this kind of business without having some some loyal employees that'll, that'll stick by you. And uh, we have to be loyal to them as well. That's how life works. So uh, this couldn't happen without everybody. We've got many drivers that have been here a number of years. We've got drivers that have been here just six months or a year that do a great job for us. And uh, we're just going to do our best to keep humping along here and uh, pay our employees what they're worth.
1: That's awesome. Well, thank you so right. much for that. And and thank you for uh, giving us this opportunity to create this podcast and be part of that uh, that keep pumping along mindset because I, you know, I've got so many stories that I heard when I was out there in Plattsmouth for, for a week and um, I can't wait to get into some of those. I can't wait to talk to some drivers, hear some stories from the road and tell the story uh, of of liquid trucking as it sits right now, uh, 30 plus years in. That's your general manager, Josh Schmidt. Josh, thank you so much for being here today. And I look forward to talking to you again very soon.
3: Thanks, Marcus. Thanks, everybody.
0: And now, President of Liquid Trucking, Roger Schmidt. Joining us next here on
1: the Liquid Trucking podcast is president of Liquid Trucking, Roger Schmidt. Roger, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today.
3: Thank you, Marcus.
1: Now, the point of this episode is really to dig down deep and, and hear about the history of Liquid Trucking, how you guys got started. We've already talked to Mike, and uh, he told us a bit of of his side of the beginning of Liquid. But I want to... Hear from you going all the way back to when this thing first started. Tell me the story behind liquid trucking.
3: Okay, so Mike and I basically became partners in 1994, but Mike and I have known each other and our families knew each other for as long as we've been alive, basically. You know, he worked for Cargill, but I had a trucking business in 1989. And I started in the dry box business and I was leasing trucks to Hill Brothers in Omaha, Nebraska. And I had a little mechanic shop down in the end of main street in Plasma, Nebraska, where I repaired all kinds of vehicles. And then, uh, uh an older gentleman had like four trucks he had, and I was helping him on weekends cause I was starving to death in the mechanic trade. So I started helping him on weekends. He got ready to sell his trucks and moved to Arkansas and he wanted to sell them to me. So I was able to purchase them from him with, uh, basically nothing down on a land contract and just send him a check every month. So that's how I got started in the trucking business. So then in 1992, I bought some more trucks and then uh, I started leasing them on at different places. And then in 94, Mike, was still working for Cargill and Cargill wanted to sell all their uh, tank business off and they were basically hauling molasses and he was dispatching the trucks. So Mike called me and and, uh, we got together and formed a partnership and then uh, I started buying trucks and tanks and he started wrangling the drivers and dispatching the trucks and keeping freight in front of them and so then we just kept growing every year and then as my boys grew up they got involved in the business and then they took it from there and, and grew it further than we could ever have grown it so we're, we're still hanging around here but <laughs> they're, they're really more the keys to the puzzle nowadays
1: did you ever think roger that it would go as far as it has and and is still going did you think that ever when you started all the way back with four trucks that one day you were going to be sitting here with hundreds of trucks on the road and hundreds of trailers in your lot?
3: No, everybody asked me that question. I get asked that all the time. Well, you must have had some sort of a grand vision of this. I said, no, I was just putting one foot in front of the other one. I was just trying to make a living at first. And then we actually, Mike and I, Probably one of the rare partnerships that you can have. We really have never uh, argued over anything, and we've never really been disgruntled with one another, you know. And and uh, he handled the trade end, and I handled the buying the trucks and financing them and wrangling the money and and making sure everybody was getting paid and putting accounts payable and accounts receivable and the payroll and all that sort of stuff. And and Mike was just the guy that was a real, he had like a million dollar phone voice. <laughs> so it'd be like, a, he was like a disc jockey. So no one ever forgot that who they talked to because he had the real deep voice. So people still, he picks up the phone and talks to him and they, they know immediately who they're talking to. So it just started perpetuating itself out of that because we had a unique combination of of being able to, Mike could say, "Hey, these guys just offered us forty loads a week doing so and so, and you know we don't want to turn them down because we got we're doing you know half their other business, and we don't want anybody else in the door. Let's let's go ahead and do that." And so then I go out and buy some more trucks, and luckily I had enough friendly bankers to help me along <laughs> the way, and uh that's kind of how it all perpetuated itself. But we didn't really. It wasn't a master plan.
1: Sure. Well, it kind of sounds like the the relationship between you and Mike was special for more reasons than than what you've mentioned already. It it sounds kinda like you guys came from the two sides of the trucking industry that that you need to have. He had that uh yeah. you know, kind of that that dispatch and sales side going on. Well, you seem to really have the the mechanic side and the ability to go and and procure trucks and everything. If you don't have Mm -hmm. all of those bases covered, you probably never make it to where you are today. I would assume.
3: Right. You're exactly right. And you know, the thing is we, the other part of this is, is we both were. So his parents and my parents used to go to the Eagles club and go dancing on Friday nights. And we're both, they were all farm hands. You know, my parents were farmers and his parents were farmers and, and you know, they just had kind of a solid work ethic and everybody just kinda did what they had to do. And, and that goes a long ways too. You know, neither one of us were too bashful about putting in 70 or 80 or hours a week, you know, wow. Saturdays, Sundays, take the phones home, answer them in the middle of the night, come back and do it the next day. So we, we basically did all that for a long period of time until we got on our feet and we're able to recognize other people's talent and that's been the other key to the growth thing as soon as we were able to have enough gold in our pocket to start procuring other talent then you know things got easier because we were able to find the right people and we were able to pay more money and so the volume Start helping us along the way as far as monetarily being able to pay people and put the right people in the right spot, so to speak.
1: Sure. Well, you know, I I want to touch on two things. First of all, what you said about Mike's voice is 100% true. Um, sitting there across from him in the office when I was uh, in Plattsmouth getting to you know, meet everybody and kind of understand the company a little bit better. There's one thing that stuck in the back of my head because I come from radio and I could not help but think, man, you put Mike on like a smooth jazz station or maybe a rock station or something like that. He's going to do really well as a disc jockey.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's what I always say. You got a a million dollar phone voice. He could have been a disc jockey. Exactly right.
1: The other thing that you brought up that uh, that really stuck out to me was when you were talking about the work ethic. Mike did tell me that uh, he has been accused in the past of maybe being married to his job a little bit. It sounds like the same thing could be said for you back during those growth days.
3: Yeah, that's right. We we basically you know work seven days a week for a long time. You know, we started so then the, the deals started happening. So we we had tanks and we're running eight or ten tanks, and now we we're running like 15 tanks. So Then all of a sudden, the mad cow disease came in. And then we were only hauling liquid feed. We weren't hauling any food-grade products or anything. But all these people, no matter whether it was Cargill feed, they wanted you to have a washout for every tanker you brought in there and have a wash ticket with it. So now we got another problem. Now we got to wash these tanks out and send them a clean tank every time. Well, guess what? There's nobody doing that yet.
1: <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> so now I'm down in the tank. I'm squirting water out of these things with a, a hopsy, and I come out of there looking like a rat <laughs> every time. So washing these. So now the deal is okay, now we've washed them out. What we do with the Wash water residue, you know, now we got to do something with that. So, you know, I went around the whole countryside for almost six months, going to every place that I knew that did have a wash bay running and took the best of everybody's ideas and built the first wash bay. You know, so then we went to wash from washing, you know, six or seven tanks out a day to washing 60 tanks out a day. Wow because we got all the right equipment and we got a, our own sewer treatment plan and, and all the things that go along with that. So that uh, we got three diet digesters, which basically act just like your stomach does. They, they basically they are heated and they're mixed and the bacteria grows in there and it eats all the residue up and then it, you end up with clean water after about 40 days. But there's, it's a cycle.
1: That's amazing. I, I had no idea that the that that would the bacteria would basically make clean water out of all that wastewater. I I, I had no idea.
3: Yeah, that's just you know it works just like your stomach does. They're, those things are sealed. So there's no air. They're called anaerobic digesters. Okay, yeah, that's what they do. They get and they give off methane gas. Right. And so you got to burn the methane gas off of them, or use it. One of the two. But that's what all the dairies are doing nowadays and, and turning that sludge into usable fertilizer that won't really hurt the logical value of, of anywhere you put it.
1: Sure. Well, you know, when I was out in uh, South Sioux Falls down at Bartow uh, meeting Chris Balatouche, he told me uh, a story about uh, some digest bugs that went bad in the uh in the lot there, and uh, and some things that happened with that, I I can't wait to hear all of the stories behind the the growth of of Liquid, and I know that Chris is going to have a lot of those. But can you talk about Barto and OFC and and the other arms of of uh, Liquid a little bit, and how they contribute to the bigger picture?
3: Yeah, uh, so uh, so Chris we will start on that first. So Barto, those guys were two brothers. And they owned Borough Trucking. And we had, and Mike had a relationship with them back. And we'd swap some spit up there in the Sioux City area. We'd haul for them and they haul for us. And, but they were a small company. They had maybe, you know, they probably had six or seven trucks when we had 30. Anyway, time goes on. They ended up, uh, one brother got divorced and and they farmed some so anyway they decided to split the cheats the brothers did and they wanted to sell a trucking end off and so they came to us and wanted to know whether we'd buy it or not and so we kind of agreed to buy it and they didn't want and chris is working for brother he's working for the brothers mm-hmm. they wanted me to go up and look at it and uh, mike did and and uh so i went up there and Chris doesn't, didn't know me from a load of coal. And so, uh, I said, Hey, I was sent up there cause Jeff Barter wanted me to look at these pumps and, and the other stuff that you have extra on the shelf that they want to get rid of. And so Chris is real nice. He takes me around. And so I'm to him, you know, I was interviewing him, but he didn't know it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sneaky.
3: So, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I uh, and Chris is kind of a biker-looking dude, you know. Did you meet him?
1: Oh yeah, I met Chris. He's I sat in a yeah. room with him for about an hour, and and yeah, you're right. Just looks like he would belong on a Harley Davidson for sure.
3: Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I got this other old boy that was with me. That's a good friend of mine. He's about oh, he's probably seventy eight now, but he's a he worked for NPPD for years, and he was there. Their station manager, and he was kind of a sales guy, a people person, and so drove me up there, and we're looking around. And so we get back in the truck, and we're driving down I twenty nine, and Bill says, "Jesus," he said, "That guy, is that the manager that you were talking to?" And I said, "Yeah." I said, "Man," he said, "He's got a lot of tattoos and earrings and blah blah blah," and I said, "Yeah." And he said, "Well, what do you think of him?" I said. He answered every question the right way, and so I got back here and said, We got we need to buy that and hire that kid, he's smart. And he was pretty young then, and so forget about the tattoos,
1: yeah, right. <laughs> we all make those decisions when we're young, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's that's such so a cool anyway, story. That's how,
3: the, that's how we got started with Bardo, and Bardo kind of contributes to our, our bottom line by they're the they basically haul a lot of the hazmat products like they they haul a lot of sulfuric acid and caustic and things of that nature that go into the uh, ethanol industry in the upper midwest and they're mainly a short haul trucker you know so they don't haul for a real long distance most of this most of their stuff is you know home and back almost every day so they, they have a little bit better ability to uh, have a long longevity of a truck driver more than OFC and Schmidt does. Cause we, we basically do everything down here.
1: Uh-huh. Well, that's, that's so cool. I, I just, it was really cool to see, you know, both terminals and the differences in, in them and, and, you know, getting to see some of the personalities. That was actually where I got out in the, in the uh, wash bay and got to look down into uh, a tank that was getting steamed out at the time and, yeah. And that's a, that's a job, uh, for, for a special person because the claustrophobia and just, you know, like you said, you come out of there looking like a drowned rat when it's all said and done it, hats yeah. off to those guys. Cause that does not look like an easy job.
3: It's not, it's not for the saint at heart.
1: <laughs> Amen to that. Well, Roger, mm-hmm. I don't have you for, for very much longer, but I got to ask you this, uh, you know, I know that your son started off working for you doing odd jobs and pushing brooms and stuff like that when they were very young. You kinda get yeah. welled up with the sense of pride now, uh, seeing Josh and Gabe have the success that they've had within the company and knowing that you've kind of passed on that work ethic that you were talking about down to them.
3: Oh yeah. That's uh that's really great when you can you know, get along with your kids and work with your whole family and you know, they got they got kids of their own that You know, I babysit for them yesterday while they were out doing something else. And, and, you know, the really cool part is they got things, you know, I might have, I might have grew the apple, but they shined it.
1: (laughs) That's a great way to put it, Roger. That's awesome. Well, I can't think of a better way to, uh, to finish off this podcast than to give you the floor uh, you're you're the president of the company. Is there anything you would like to say to the company at large, whether it be the drivers that might be listening or any of your uh, terminal staff?
3: Yeah, I, I'd like to commend to all of the truck drivers that we have, and they're more pilots than they are truck drivers because they have to, you know, they have to load and unload these trailers, and it's hot out, and they're hauling. Like today, it's like 104. So if they got to suit up the hazmat suit on this afternoon to unload a truck. It's a, it's not nice,
1: Yeah, they,
3: they're a hardworking, you know, they're just like the old cowboys of the old West. They got to get up every day and go out early and work hard. And, you know, they got to deal with everybody that's out there on the road and, and it's the unbelievable way they get treated sometimes. And, and we'd like to, you know, we'd like to change that atmosphere. And I think we'll we work on that a little bit at a time. And that's the reason we have done some things that that a lot of people aren't doing yet. And I think it's it's all good.
1: That's great. Well, Roger, again, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk with us. I really look forward to what this podcast will become. Uh, You've got a great company moving there, and uh, it's just been a pleasure to get to meet all of you guys and and figure out a little bit about how this whole thing got started. So we really appreciate you here on the podcast, and we look forward to talking to you again in the future, all right? Okay. Thank you, Marcus. No problem. That's Roger Schmidt, president of Liquid Trucking. We'll be right back with the next interview.
0: And now, operations manager of Liquid Trucking, Gabe Schmidt. Next up here on
1: the Liquid Trucking Podcast, joining us today is Gabe Schmidt, Operations Manager over at Liquid. Gabe, we really appreciate the time. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. No problem. Now, you have an interesting uh, history with Liquid Trucking as you started out as a very young kid working with Liquid and uh, your dad, Roger, and your brother, Josh, and of course, Mike, who we've already talked to can you uh, talk me through how you started out and how things got moving for you at liquid sure as a uh, young kid and my dad was running a mechanic shop I hung out at his
4: shop quite a bit then he later on bought bought some trucks and you know I continued to hang around the shop and eventually I worked into helping out with doing some light mechanical things in the in the shops and my brother and I both uh, washed out tanks outside you know when we were 14. 15 years old, you did tank washes and, and light mechanical. And eventually I got my CDL and I, I did some, some short runs, home every night runs just out of high school till I was about 22. And then 2002, I, I went in and I started learning the dispatch side of things with my clients. from there. I did that for about 13 years, got to the point that's about a hundred trucks uh, doing all the scheduling. I think we had about three, four dispatchers where I left and, and went down to help out running the shops in 2014. And that's kind of where I'm at now, taking over all the shops and kind of turn into the running the overall operations
3: mm-hmm. of the company.
1: Now, tell me this. Do you prefer uh, kind of being on the uh, the operations side or would you rather be back in dispatch? Which, which one of those things do you kind of gravitate towards more, Gabe?
4: operations for sure dispatch is probably one of the toughest jobs in this company from from my experience um, there's just a lot a lot to handle you're the communications hubs for everything so no matter what department needs something it kind of everything has to flow through dispatch so not only do you have to think about the drivers wants and needs the customers wants and needs that The company's wants and needs—you kind of have to take all that stuff and juggle it, and you know, create schedules and you know, deal with everybody's problems. So it can be a thankless job. It's a tough job. So I personally would would rather not get back into the dispatch (laughs) kind of thing.
1: I feel like you're being very kind there. (laughs) Yeah. I can feel their
4: pain though. So from the operation side, when dispatch has a problem, I can relate to the problem they're having and have a little empathy for them and help try to solve the, <laughs> help them solve the problem.
1: For sure. Well, and I think that's one of the cool parts about uh, about your your tenure with the company here is that you've you've worked almost every job from the the very beginning. I mean. Your dad, Roger, told me you guys were pushing a broom when you were like 10 and 12 years old. So you've you've seen the company from the very inside out. And having that experience has got to be very valuable to the people that now work beneath you, because they do see that you have that empathy and that understanding. And and you've gone through the through the uh, hard knocks of those positions, not just gotten your your position, you know, gifted to you. You've really worked for it.
4: Yeah. Yep, we have. And, you know, watching seeing Mike and Roger's work ethic over the years, you know, those two guys didn't matter how many hours they worked, you know, what they had to do to, you know, get this company off the ground. They were, they were do it. They just, they never, they've never had the, I give up attitude. And so just, just seeing that your whole life is very humbling. I should say, I don't, I don't know how to, how to really put that.
1: Well, it, it seems that that work ethic really does get passed down. It's it's like a, you know, it's a good habit that uh, that you learn at a young age and all of a sudden you're putting in those 60, 70, 80-hour weeks as well. You don't have that give-up mentality in you either because you've never seen anybody operate like that in this company.
4: Right. And the respect for the risk they took to even start the company, that was the hardest part in my eyes is, is those two starting the company and growing it to to where it was when When Josh and I got into it, they really did the hard part. And for us, it's like Josh and I don't want to screw up something that those two, we saw
1: how hard they worked to build. So, yeah. (laughs) So, so we got some big, we kind of have some big shoes to fill, you know? I hear you. There's a lot riding on it. Every decision, I'm sure. Now, Something I wanted to chat with you about a little bit that I didn't get into with uh, with Roger or Josh or Mike was uh, fleet optimization. When I was out there in Plattsmouth, we talked a lot about uh, fleets, fleet optimization in the short time that I got to sit down with you and actually talk face to face. And I was really interested in your thoughts on fleet optimization and the, the many different layers that there are to that. Can you talk a little bit about the the bigger picture of fleet optimization at Liquid Trucking in and then the way that you tried to implement that? Oh man, I'll
4: have to think about that one for a second. <laughs> <clears throat> you know the the fleet and the technology and all the different moving parts is pretty complicated and ever changing. I don't think there's a uh, there's a playbook per se that goes by that that we go by for that, for fleet optimization. But over time, we used to run our trucks, you know, to over a million miles because wow. we couldn't really afford to buy new trucks, And we were growing at such a rate, we couldn't buy them out of new trucks to keep up with our growth. So we would keep running trucks. We would buy new trucks, keep running them, the older ones, so they got to a million miles. But, you know, in the last five years, we've, we've kind of made it to the point where we're able to, where the growth isn't so big every year. So we're able to start uh, rating that back and, and start trading trucks at a, at a lower mileage or selling them at a lower mileage. up. So, you know, we've went from selling trucks with 1.3 million miles on them now to finally starting to get into a cycle where we can start getting rid of them at, you know, 600, 650,000 miles. And I think as time goes on, um, we might decide to even get that number lower. But it that all just kind of depends on your growth patterns. Yeah. And so uh, you know, if you have a big opportunity to grow, you might hang on to some trucks a little bit longer than you really want it
1: For sure. And there's probably ripple effects to that. I imagine that the shop sees the truck more often if it has one, bil- uh, one million miles on it over seeing it as often as they would if it only had, you know, half a million miles on it. Is, is that true?
4: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and especially this day and age with the all the after treatment devices, I don't know that a, I don't know that they would make it to to the mileages they would <laughs> back before all the emission standards. I mean, the other thing for us is, you know, being a liquid carrier, we put a lot of extra things on our trucks after we buy them. It's probably, you know, $30,000 worth of extra equipment and labor to get it done. Um, after we purchased the truck so it really doesn't make sense for us to maybe sell our trucks at 400,000 like you might see a dry van or reefer company doing because we've already put all that effort into those trucks with the hydraulics and the wet packs and things like that
1: so be, uh, beyond hydraulics and wet packs what are some of the other things that you end up spending some of that money on uh, to upfit the trucks after you buy them
4: uh, we put the smart drive dash cams and DVRs in them, you know, the electronic logging devices. We put in, um, Epic View satellite TV, which is basically direct TV. So drivers can watch, you know, football games or whatever in their downtime.
1: We say whatever too, but we know that it's mostly football games and sports, right? That's the- <laughs> that's the only reason. Yeah, most you need likely. That.
4: <laughs> well, when it doesn't work, that's why they complain because they couldn't watch their favorite game. <laughs>
1: yeah, for sure. And you know, when I was out there, uh, I believe it was Tanner and Dispatch told me that he's he'll every now and then get a call at... You know, 2 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Hey, my TV's not working. And uh, that gets under his skin a little bit because he, if he has to wake up at 2 in the morning, he doesn't want to wake up for your TV not working. He wants to wake up to make sure that your truck's still rolling. That's uh, that was something he told me. So and that's
4: another reason why I don't want to be back. in dispatch.
1: <laughs> Amen to that, man. Amen to that. <laughs> Well, hey, I, uh, again, I really appreciate the time that you've spent with us here today. I, I've done this for all the other guys that we've had on for this first podcast. You know, this podcast is going to be for liquid drivers and, and staff, and I want to give you the floor here, Gabe, before we let you go, and if there's anything at all that you want to say to the drivers or the staff uh, or anybody else for that matter, the floor is yours, please. I don't have anything else at this time. Just keep the greasy side down and Stay safe out there. That works. That works as well as any of it, Gabe. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I'm looking forward to having you on this podcast more as the future unfolds. All right. Thank you, Marcus. Yep. Take care, Gabe. And there you have it. The story of liquid trucking in podcast form this is really exciting. First of all, Liquid is a is a fantastic company. I keep hearing that from people, and I can't wait to hear it from even more people. Everybody seems to like working there. Everybody seems to feel like they're a big part of the family. I felt like I was a big part of the family. Uh, I, they took me under their wing and treated me like I had been working there for a decade the first day that I was in-house meeting the staff. So, I'm very excited about this podcast. If you're wondering how we're going to do it, what you're going to see is weekly episodes from us. uh, And each episode will feature a topic. We'll talk to the appropriate staff members. We'll get you a driver interview. And uh, you're encouraged to take part in any way that you can. If you see posts on various social media about the podcast, feel free to interact with it. Comment, like, subscribe, subscribe. All of these things help the podcast more than you could possibly know, and they're free. If you click that subscribe button on whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts on, it will alert you every single week when a new episode drops. If you want to be a part of the podcast, all you have to do is contact your dispatcher, uh, talk to any number of the employees that will help me out with this podcast, Jason Eisenman, Bo Hankey, Nick Meyer, Tanner Bowman, these guys will all get you where you need to be, put you in touch with me so that you can be the next driver that we do a driver profile on. We appreciate all of you for listening to the podcast, interacting with it, liking, subscribing, and sharing it with your friends. I'm very excited about what this podcast holds in store for us all at Liquid. So, Without further ado, we'll put the wraps on this episode and get ready for one next week. I'm your host, Marcus, and this has been Episode 1 of the Liquid Trucking Podcast.
0: Thanks for tuning in and being the gold standard of drivers on the road. Be sure to like and subscribe to the channel and tune in next week for another episode of the Liquid Trucking Podcast.